Sober is back with me today. How are you doing, Terry? Hey there. Always great to sit down and visit and chat about the best wrestling organization in the history of man. Wow, that is big praise. And winter <laughs> is well and truly coming because this isn't the, the show that took place on November the 1st, 1986. Um, th- this was also a month I turned five years old in, a, mem- a birthday I have no memory of. Um, what sort of winters do you get where you are, Terry? Do you get extreme winters? Do you get much snow or is it pretty temperate where you are? Because you're quite far south where you are, aren't you? Yeah. Yes, very, very moderate. Uh, you know, might get a snow every, you know, every few years. Uh, however, during this time in 1986, I'm stationed right near Nashville, Tennessee. Okay. And I happened to experience my first ever snow and uh, actually dented my car because as I oh. pulled into a parking spot, my car could not stop correctly. So I, I kind of uh kind of slid into a little something and, and bumped my car up a little bit so my, wow. uh, my introduction driving in the snow yeah it's not gonna be i always feel this time of year is like we're talking about this at, this at work of the day that i like christmas I, I wasn't a massive fan of christmas when i was younger but i quite like it now christmas is good fun but then january and february is just wretched and march isn't great here march is not an amazing month here either for weather it's really april before things start turn, turning around and we don't have super i mean it's usually yeah somewhere between i can't do the what's freezing in fahrenheit is that like 40s 32 32 degrees so it's probably somewhere between like 32 and 50 ish for most of our winters i suppose but but 10 degrees celsius is quite a nice day here in the winters that's i I can't do the maths but you know that's much better than freezing you know 10 10 degrees celsius warmer than that let's say 20 fahrenheit warm that i don't know um (laughs) but yes but this this it's just like Everything's we down need here. Phil. We need Phil for the mathematician. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything Phil, is... Phil is the guy with the big brain that can yeah, fill is. <laughs> I mean, I could Google it, but I just can't be bothered. But it's just like the nights get dark. What time's it getting getting dark where you are at the moment? Of an so, evening. So for, so for us, sunset right now is probably 6:30-ish. Okay. 6 p.m. And what's the latest in the in the height of summer? How late do you do you get to get there? I suppose it's probably earlier than us because you're because you're more near the equator. I suppose, aren't you? So how how late's the latest? Yeah, not sure. Uh, seven, maybe. I, I don't know. I, oh, I don't so know. it's not. It never gets. It's never. It's it's always dark by like nine o'clock or something where you are, even in oh, the yeah, height of summer. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I interesting. So. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so in the height, in the absolute height of summer here, it's probably dark at like nine thirty, nine forty-five. So you can play golf at like half five and get round basically uh, in the height of our summer. Um, I'm sounding like an absolute idiot. I'm 55 <laughs> years old, and I don't know when the sun sets. So uh, uh, I'm I'm going to Google this while we talk. You're in M- Mobile, aren't you? I'm really interested yes. in this. So yeah, yeah, yes. um, yeah. So so now it's it's probably dark by I'm guessing like seven o'clock now, but it's just miserable. And then the what the worst time of the year is probably it gets light about half seven in the morning, and it's dark by about half three, three forty-five in December which is really, really grim. So we've got that to look for. I suspect our extremes are probably, because we're more northerly, I suspect our, our, we're darker and lighter rather than, I, th- I suspect yours is probably less of a, if I'm remembering back to my days of doing geography, I suspect you've got less of a, uh, you know, a bit like Spain is for us. It's it's kind of sim- more similar. There's less less variation, I think. I could be wrong about that. Have you got the details there? Uh, uh, not quite, uh, but I'm embarrassed. <laughs> the fact that uh, you mentioned geography, and I, I actually taught geography one year. And I, don't <laughs> I mean, it's 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 very loose geography. I don't know if it might it might even be science, which I was I was absolutely useless at. So I don't know whether it's science, whether it's science or geography. Really, I uh, Joe, you know I'm just I want to know I want to know your shortest day and your longest day. So I'm going to start the show. When you get there, Terry, uh, we can come back uh, to this. So you're really putting the pressure on me now. You're <laughs> Uh, so, yes, the show started from November the 1st, 1996, with pictures of a match between Terry Gordy and Ted DiBiase in a steel cage from October the 17th, 1986. And Gordy went for a pile driver, but DiBiase got out of it. Ted hit his own pile driver and won the match as we cut into the opening title. So it pe- appeared as if we had a new Universal Wrestling Federation champion. Uh, Ross and Duggan were on commentary, and Duggan had a T-shirt on it. On it? T- Duggan had a T-shirt on him, with his face and name on it. So clearly merchandise was becoming a thing by this point. Ross explained that Duggan beat Gordy in a match that was scheduled to be for the UWF heavyweight title. And there was a lot of controversy around the match. 
Michael Hayes would be on the show later explaining why he wasn't in there in person. We'd also get a special feature on Dark Journey and a lover's triangle match between T- between Tatum and Eddie Gilbert with Duggan saying, they better not worry about the skirt on the outside. Very progressive from Jim Duggan there. Ross would also be talking about the PWI tournament, plus the return of Dr. Death. And Duggan said they'd be getting back on the road, pumping some iron and motivating one another. Uh, any thoughts on this opening uh, sequence and this this kind of shot of the match between Gordy and Duggan before we move on? No, the, 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 those teasers from the arena, you, you know, are always were always fun. Uh, always fun. Always love that. Always love the hacksaw. Hacksaw, you know, people just don't. I know we talked about this, you know, time and time again on here people today have no clue how over hacksaw duggan was i mean mm. you, you think of the goofy guy in wcw or the wwf and and i'm glad he was able to do that to make money and, and fame and fortune but the he was so over in the mid-south he was such a fan favorite and beloved and tough guy i mean he would he was good. So anytime you get you had hacksaw on TV, it was it was a treat. Do you know what? I've got your I've got the deets at the sunset stuff here. Do you want me to have you got it, Terry, or do you want me to talk? Do you want me to go? Uh, with you it? know, I got I got something. I'm gonna go with yours though. Let's go with yours. Yours so is I, gonna be more. I think what I've said is absolutely rubbish. I think yours is pretty similar to us, actually. Um, because suppose I'm just looking at where you're on the map. So you are north of Florida, aren't you? So you are I, I still, I still would have thought you're, yeah, I sort of, perhaps, perhaps we're not that dissimilar in terms of, what is it, latitude, latitude, isn't it? So your, I think your longest day would be, um, would end about 9.36, I think, sunset. Does that sound about right? Astronomical twilight, nautical twilight. What does that mean? What's the difference? I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. And then December, let's go with astronomical twilight. Uh, oh, no, sit what civil twilight? I've I've really I've really jumped in a, a wormhole here, haven't I? I'm gonna Google what what is civil is that when you can see? Uh, okay, civil twilight. During civil twilight, the geometric center of the sun's disk is at the most six degrees be- below the horizon. So I think it might be that your longest day might be about half eight. Would you would you think that might be about right? Are they in the height of summer? Um most likely. Uh uh, I, I, I right now I'm so distracted. I'm thinking there's probably about 60 sets of parents who literally <laughs> want to get their, their money back from me teaching their children geography. See, I think this is so I think this is right. I think it's less extreme than ours because because according to this, your civil twilight in December would be about half past five or 20 past five in the evening. So you so that but we're basically saying it would never be dark earlier than 20 past five. And it never be light later than eight, 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 half eight ish. Does that sound about right? That, that does sound right. Yeah. Okay. So I think my very bad geography is probably about right. We're 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 probably an hour more either way because we're further north. If you're like I went to Iceland on a stag do, and we went in May, and there was only about three hours of darkness, and it was probably around. Uh, maybe even less than that, sort of half, maybe about midnight, about two or three thirty. Because I remember when we came out in the nightclub, it was light, and it really it didn't get dark properly. It was dusk, really. Like if you were playing tennis or something or golf, you could probably just about manage to do it with like maybe like a light ball. Um, but that was that was a complete mind bender. That was in terms of like coming How out. How does that night, affect your bright. sleep? Well, I, I think. Well, does that I think really that, mess up your sleep? Well, I think it probably does. But the other way around is that in the summer, uh, sorry, in the winter, they have almost no light at all. So it's almost all complete darkness. And in the North Pole, I suppose you're, you're pretty much at 24 hour darkness. So I suspect the kind of seasonal disorder stuff would be pretty bad there. Joe, you know what? Let's get back on. Sorry, I can only apologise for this. I know you've got limited time. Let's not talk about the, the, the darkness and light. Let's talk about some universal wrestling. So I can only apologise. You're right. Let's move on. So Gary Young and Art Cruz is our opener from the Tulsa Convention Center. And Ross and Duggan put over what an important match this was for both wrestlers at this stage in their careers. I thought it was a nice touch. Young had a really interesting looking drop kick, almost like he was doing it somehow inside out, but still looked really good. And Ross talked about the Popeyes. Yes, the chicken place was a sponsor. New Orleans Superdome Extravaganza on Thanksgiving night. Now, I'm thinking, Terry, were you not in the vicinity around Thanksgiving in 1986, I'm guessing? 
Uh, no, I, unfortunately, I was not. Um, so, so I wasn't able to, to, to witness this. No. So this, uh, this, um, I thought as much. This, this card from November the twenty seventh, nineteen eighty six, which allegedly drew thirteen thousand, which I'm not sure is legit, but we'll go with it. I did, I did check that in two places. Um, they had a rather interesting main event. So you had Terry Taylor versus Buddy Roberts in a barbed wire cage match. And Steve Williams versus Michael Hayes in a steel cage match. And these two matches were held simultaneously. So the first wrestler to score a win was then allowed to enter the other cage to help his friend. Um, what? What? <laughs> what? Whose idea was this? So you had two that, rings and two cages and two matches going on at the same time. That, that would have been... Uh, it, it, it's even bizarre to think about, but wow, I think I think it's definitely a ticket seller. I mean, you know, unheard. Of, I guess you know you're bordering on some of those Japanese deathmatch type situations. Yeah, I mean, barbed wire, especially Buddy Buddy Robertson, Terry Taylor in a barbed wire match. That just <laughs> feels like that's bizarre, and I, I just like that 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 feels like like the sort of thing that you might come up with in like a fever dream or something like, like Bill Watts was like really <laughs> ill one night and that takes some, some tablets to get to sleep. And he came, I know what I'm going to do. Double ring, double steel cage. Let's put Terry Taylor in some barbed wire. That'll sell some tickets. And apparently it did. Um, Young won this match, the flying body press in four minutes and 14 seconds. Uh, this was decent, even though I did spend quite a lot of this time looking up the suit, that Superdome show. So what do I know? Uh, Terry, what do you think about our, our opener here? That's the same thing. I was never Gary Young never had the look to me, but but he always seemed to be a, a good hand, um, mm. you know, whether he was in world class or whatever, you, you know, just, you know, so kind of kind of is what it is, what it is for that match. Nothing, nothing really jumps out. The Libyan versus the recently turned babyface Savannah Jack was next. Uh, Nature Boy Buddy Landell and Skandar Akbar came down before the match started. Skandar said he had been trying to hire some people to take care of Jack. He said, now there's someone standing to his left who can take care of the job. Landell said it was his honour to be out there with Akbar. He said if Jack had the intestinal fortitude to wrestle him next week, he'd tear his head off. Jack then smashed him with a kind of jabbing superkick and then went after Akbar before the Libyan went after him. The Libyan was then deposited in 15 seconds by another superkick. Um, and the ref then had to hold him, hold Savannah Jack back from getting at Scandal and Buddy. Um, and clearly what saw something in Jack here, um, and this was quite the promotion of him with the shot on Buddy and the quick victory. Uh, what do you think of this? It, it's, it's, it's part of that uh, long uh, story that we've been telling since Junkyard Dog left is let's find us a great black baby face mm. to, 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 to uh, you know, take that slack. And, and, and maybe that's the reason they started savannah jack with with uh, akbar is you know if if you look in the history of wrestling uh particularly in the territory days some of the best baby faces are those guys who were hated so bad definitely and 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 they switched and and it just it seems to make make them better baby faces because they were hated for so long people i guess were just anticipating one day to be able to cheer for them uh, and yeah. i guess that's what he's trying to do I think if you've elicited such a strong reaction one way or the other, it means that the, the, the fans care about you and they're invested in your story. And I think you're absolutely right. Look at Randy. Randy Savage is such a good example of that. Absolutely hated heel. Um, became babyface the first time when he teamed up with Hogan. Hated heel again. And I, and I still say that his turn back to, as babyface at WrestleMania 7 is, is the best thing the WF have ever done because people were invested in him. People were invested in that character. I think you're, you're so right. If you can make it as a top heel... Then you've got every, you know, every ability to be a top babyface as well. Um, we had a quick promo from Tatum, who was very hairy, um, and he talked about Gilbert stealing his woman and and how he had busted his face basically. And then Gilbert, along with Steiner, Sting, and Hyatt, retorted by calling Tatum Holly Goof. And when they beat him, they're going to paint him yellow. And Hyatt said she had the real man, and he was going to beat Tatum. What do you think of this? This is again one of these backstage non-local promos for you know non-event towns basically yeah it, it kind of kind of what we talked about last episode uh i, I think it, they they those episodes those types of promos were a lot more meaningful when when you got to see uh them talk about what was upcoming in your area yeah i think it takes a little bit away from it when it's just kind of generic uh you know so you know n nothing nothing huge no indeed 
Uh, Ross said it was a great episode without Michael Hayes being there. But first, Bruce Pritchard was going to make uh, a special presentation, the female personality of the year, Dark Journey. In ring was a very young looking at Bruce Pritchard holding some flowers alongside Journey herself. Pritchard said the winner of the most outstanding female personality of 1960 was Dark Journey. Um, there were big cheers for this and Pritchard presented there with a dozen roses. Uh, before she could thank the crowd, Gilbert came down with Hyatt. He stalked her around the ring and Journey hit him with the flowers, uh, which could have caused a career ending eye injury if one of those prickles had caught him just in the wrong place. Uh, and that was it. Just a short angle continue, to continue the problems between Journey and Hyatt. Um, and then the show went to break. What did you think of this presentation and the, the vicious strike to the face of these roses? Yeah, yeah luckily Hot Stuff had his glasses on, as yeah. always. So, so he was protected. Of course but, he did. As, yeah, of course he did. <laughs> but as I, as I mentioned, uh, uh, Dog Journey was never never a big fan. I really couldn't see her appeal, um, but, but was definitely – a Missy Hyatt fan. So th this would have been a program where I was cheering for the heel yes. and not the baby face. Definitely. Did you ever have a thing when you were uh, during the junior time as a fan, when you had someone that was may have been a baby face before, but a turned heel, but you really wanted them to turn back and you're like, I'm still going to support this person. But I just want them to turn back. Cause I like everyone cheering for this person that I like rather than just liking the heel. If that makes sense. Uh, that's a, yeah, it does. I'm trying to think, uh, you know, DiBiase, when he turned heel, he was such a cool heel. So mm. I don't know that I wanted him to turn back. Yeah, I know you uh, mean. Ernie Ladd was similar for me. Ernie mm. Ladd was such a cool heel. I don't, you know, so I, I guess maybe I was at the age, you know, it was before that Stone Cold where, where the heels were cool, were supposed to be cool. But but there were a few heels that I, I, I kind of, secretly cheered for you know? yeah 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 i mean i'm the same i'm the same now but there's a, there's a bit a few people over time like brett is a good example steve austin in 2001 you just i want them to just go back babyface i want them to be able to get that big reaction cm punk a bit as well i suppose but yeah for some reason i always you know continue to like these people on the heel side and enjoy their a lot of their work as a heel side but then there's something in me i just want them to be a baby face but there's a guy will osprey now who's in uh new japan who turned a couple of years back but when he's here, he's, he's worked a lot of shows at home still to help uh, kind of local promotions. Um, he gets kind of mixed reaction, but I just want everyone to love him again. I just want him to be a babyface, and I'm sure he will be at some point, but I'm just impatient for that turn back, basically. I've always felt like that. Um, so after the break, Ross apologised for the uncalled for things we'd just seen. He then moved on to one of the most controversial things in wrestling that year. We saw DiBiase beating Gordy, and now we're here from Ted Michael Hayes, uh, including why he wasn't there, and Terry Gordy himself. Um, so first of all, we got some more of the action from the match in the Sam Houston Coliseum with Gordy's face covered in blood. Peter Burkholtz, a name I don't know, and Jim Ross were on commentary. And we got DiBiase um, winning again via pile driver. And the crowd reacted huge to this. And Ross said on commentary that he was the new champion. Then backstage, Ross and Hayes uh, were shown. And Ross explained this was pre-taped and Hayes wouldn't be on the show. Hayes said when you have a football game, Oklahoma versus Miami, for example, if you prepared all week for Miami, it wouldn't be fair to throw in Nebraska at the last minute. Hayes said Gordy was preparing for Dr. Death and Dr. Death couldn't make it, so they put DiBiase in that spot. Hayes said the champion had something to say straight after the attempted ripoff. And Hayes reiterated this was right after the match. Uh, but since then, he said he's going to take he's going to take care of things and has some big surprises. Uh, then we cut back to Houston and Gordy with his face and massive curls and blood holding a gigantic bag full of ice against his face. He said DiBiase had something that belonged to him, something he'd worked long and hard for, and ain't no West Texas punk going to steal his title away. They cut to shots of DiBiase holding the belt at ringside in Houston with Hayes for saying, I think we even got a shot of Paul Bosch here in the ringside melee. Uh, back from there to Hayes, who reiterated the surprise was coming, and next week it would speak for itself. Uh, we then went back into the ring for an interview with Ross and DiBiase. He called it a great night for Ted, but a controversial one. He asked what the status of the match was, and DiBiase said um, the Freebirds had gone to their lawyers and the UW officials, and their hands were tied. He was given permission to take Doc's place in the match, but he had not signed a contract, and therefore he's not legally champion. That drew big boos from the crowd. Uh, DiBiase was wearing a red, almost Christmas-style jumper, which is a little bit early for, for this. Um, Ted said what it did is it opened the door for him. He said the people knew his background. He was a second generation wrestler. He lives and breathes it. He wants to follow his father's footsteps. 
DBS said he'd held almost every major title apart from the UWF Heavyweight one. And the only reason he didn't have it then is because his name wasn't on a contract. He called himself the master tactician. He knows every trick in the book. He's beaten Gordy. And the next time it comes up, he guarantees that belt will be coming home with him. So a lot to recap here. Now, I don't particularly like the bait and switch stuff with giving a crowd a big moment and then reversing it. Because I do think that impacts negatively on the drawing ability in that place. Because people will people will think that's such a good moment there. And I, this is not understatement here. If you're a Ted DiBiossi fan, you go to Houston and you see him win this world, you know, universal world title, whatever you want to call it. That's a massive moment for you as a fan in your life. Like we all remember big sporting moments. And then if you see on TV, oh, they ripped me off there. What, how gutted are you going to feel? Like that moment is gone. That, 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 it won't be like, it'll be, oh, I had a good time, but they ripped, they ripped me off. Like, would you, be, would you be more or less inclined to buy a ticket next time? I think less inclined. And this was used as a storyline device so much in the 1980s. And the one key thing that the promotions that use this a lot have in common is they all went out of business. Like WWF never did this. WF never did never did this like holding up the title. They just didn't do it. Not until much later, not in the 80s when their business was at their peak. So, and I think that's a real key consideration. Um, what did you think of this entire thing? The title change, the match, the presentation, all the interviews, obviously a lot here. Well, well, first off, uh, maybe I'm a little bit warped and demented, but but I I I was all I've always been so intrigued by bloody matches. Mm. And 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 to watch uh you know, DiBiase and, and Gordy in that, and just to see the mat and it's the blood stains all on the mat. I mean, you know, it's, it's no wonder these days they try and you know, refrain from that for, for you know, cause it, it can't be healthy for anybody no. just rolling around in each other's blood is just crazy, but, it, but it's always been a, a warped attraction to me, I guess. Uh, and then, you know, then the interview with Gordy with the, you know, the, blood i mean so I, I think it's it's so smart of the promotion when you have a match that is that bloody to get as much footage of it as possible get the the post-match interview and, and the whole deal uh i thought that was really cool uh in in regards to the the, the bait and switch as you mentioned um you know it, it, the, the points you make are absolutely true the, the only thing i will i would say uh and I've referred to this many, many times as I experienced one of those matches one night. Uh, it was Paul Orndorff against Bob Roop. Mm. And it was a situation where Bob Roop was a North American title. It had one of those funky finishes. They raised Paul Orndorff's hand. Everybody's, you know, jumping around happy. And then it was a screwball finish and they give it back to Roop. While everything you said, I think is correct. That part that match because i've seen many 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 and there's a lot of them i can't remember mm. that is always etched in my brain as one of the coolest fun nights of wrestling yeah so so i think while, while I, it is misused sometimes and 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 it, it was a good way for promoters to back out of something uh it, it, it and it could have some negative effects in, in my case, the one time I experienced it, it was it was something I'll never forget. And so it ends up being a good memory for me. Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a 15 year, 10 or 15 year finish, maybe 15, actually. So you can do that every and I, and I do legitimately think now I think now in you know, AEW or WWE, because uh, New Japan don't really do finishes like this, but AEW or WWE, you can do that finish once every 15 years. And I'm not over-exaggerating. I think, like, because we, wrestling fans remember, like, I'll remember, you'll remember, I'll remember, you know, we'll remember this thing. I remember I saw one at uh, uh, Raw in Manchester when it was William Regal and I guess it would have been Eugene won the tag titles. The place erupted and then they reversed it. And we we're like, okay, brilliant. Like, well, that was a, what a special moment. And what difference would it make if you just given them the title? Like, this is the thing. Like, we had, we had, I went to Clash at the Castle a few weeks ago. Um, and it was, it was Drew McIntyre challenging Roman Reigns the, for the unified title. And they, and Drew didn't win, but it would have been the place would have, would have, the roof would have blown off that night if he'd won. Now, I understand why he didn't win, but that's, just, I think sometimes you just give, just give it, give it to the people. If it's that big, just give it. And if you don't want to give it, sometimes just beat beat the person clean or if you don't want to do that don't have the match in the first place like don't book yourself into a, a hole you can't get out of but I, I do think you can do that but it's, it's a generation it's a generational finish i think you want you want to do it so far away from the last time that 
people will accept it as something because I hadn't seen it for so long. Whereas I think you're right. They use this so, these promotions, UWF, NWA Crockett were particularly bad with this. They, they probably did that. Flair and Dusty were probably doing this everywhere, you know, on a, on a loop, every town, this every single night. And you think, well, you know, uh, it's just, I guess as well, wrestling a lot is about what you're used to, isn't it? And what you, what you yeah. kind of grew up watching. And I, and I, I didn't see this Dusty finish until much later because I just didn't really do it in WWF. They would do different things um, that were, you know, you know, not necessarily palatable, but I just do it in a slightly different way, I guess. Well, uh, it, it is. And that, and that makes sense. What you say is <laughs> maybe it's so special to me because I didn't see it every week. You know, it was something that stuck out. And 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 you're also right. I think it's what someone I heard someone talk about one time. It's at what age you are when you see something that you really that's the way you like things. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. That's so true. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and so for me, you know, fans today would probably think it's crazy. But for me, it's those that studio wrestling with fans on one side you know um you know maybe maybe a squash match but maybe not but just in that dark ring you know you know because today's wrestling it's so much uh it's recorded better it's it's the visual is better it's more compelling it's done the way it's supposed to be but for me, it's not like it was in 1981. Yeah. So it's it's not as good for me. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I see that, and I think the um, the the the, the real the realism to kind of debate the on the ongoing realism debate in wrestling that will go on for the next 200 years, and I presume that pro wrestling will still be a thing in 200 years. There's no reason for it not to be. Um, but I remember I, I've probably got some of the names wrong, but I, I my understanding is that Luthez didn't really like Harley Race's style because Harley Race's style he considered to be not realistic enough. Because I think Race right. is a bit of a bump taker. Race, Harley Race of all people, you know. Yep. And people said stuff about Flair. Um, and then the next generation would say about Mike Shawn Michaels. And the next generation would say about this. And then, so you get it. But but I think what you what you said is, is nailed on. What you saw as a, uh, a youngster or whatever, whatever that, whether youngster is, you know, uh, 10 or 15 or t- even 20 whatever time that is your most re- you know your resonated time like I saw a thing with um, a, a montage of Bret Hart's punches on Twitter the other day and I, I will sit there watching some modern wrestling sometimes and I'll I'll cringe how bad some of the punches are um, and this is this is mainstream American wrestling a lot on AEW actually to be fair where some of there's some holes in some of their work um, and I watched this montage of Brett and I was like, oh, this is this is next. This is this is this is wrestling. This is whereas I, I feel like I'm quite open minded to modern day stuff. And I, I feel like I've more I've got more red lines that are not necessarily uh, related to kind of generations or time periods, just stuff that I won't. I just can't have a bit like the dusty finish you talked about. Like, I just can't have that. Or if there's a pay-per-view, I think you've got to do clean feet. I don't believe that heels should always have to cheat to, to win. Floyd, I've said this on the show before. Who's one of the biggest heels in combat sports history? Floyd Mayweather. Why was he the biggest heel? Because he always won. He never cheated anyone, did he? He just won. Yeah. Just won and won and won and won and won. It was a dick with it. And that's why he was a heel. So I don't I some of the some of the kind of classic tropes in wrestling bother me more than some of the realism things because if you're looking at a match in 1975 and someone r- runs the ropes, then that isn't more any more real than anything else because no one runs the ropes in a fight. Right. But it's, again, we've all got we've all got this, and I think that's why wrestling is such a wonderful thing because everyone's got whether it's Dan who's on the show, Mark or Stuart or, or you or Phil. We'll all we've all got our histories and what what we like and what we don't like, and it's all subjective because it is an art. It's a, it's like you know watching a TV show and like you know you might say, well, actually, I really liked. The finish of Game of Thrones, and someone else might say, "Well, I absolutely hated it." And it's like no one's no one's right or wrong. It's just what we think is. We could all say what how we would do it, and that's that's a, I suppose that's a different thing. We could say, "Well, I think that's wrong because I do it this way." But in the end, is it you know who, who's to say really? So that's why wrestling. Yeah. I do think wrestling such the greatest the greatest thing on earth is wrestling. It really it's, is. It's, there's no question. And yeah. you talk about the, the the bad guys having having to cheat to win. You know, that's how it was in in the 80s. It would be like, Mm. you know, DiBiase was, as a baby face, was a superhero and no one could beat him. And then he turns bad guy and the next week, now he's got to use a loaded glove to beat somebody. Oh, I hate that so much. 
Oh, right. crikey, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Steve Austin, Steve Austin, 2001. Steve Austin, 2001. Some, I think SummerSlam 2001 and the pay-per-view after that, Kurt Angle was kicking out of stunners left, right and centre because Austin was a heel. Yeah. Three months later at the pay-per-view in December, Austin's a babyface again. One stunner, one, two, three. How does that make sense? That <laughs> right. does not make sense. But that's that's it. And I, I just think you can have heels cheat. You can do that. But it, like AEW this past week in, uh, in New York, obviously we've, we're taping this a few weeks after that now but they had three or four like distraction cheap and it's like just don't like just let them win it doesn't matter like you if, if you if these people are booked in the right way you can have heels winning without just let it just let the character be the heel let the person be the heel let his actions and they can take some shortcuts but they're in that spot because they're good enough to be in that spot they're just a bit of a dick and that's enough yeah. and if you let that if you push it like roman reigns so i mean he he has had some iffy finishes in his his match was he's not he's not an absolute a one example but Roman Reigns is going to be at some point I mean he's he's pretty much pretty much cheered by half the audience already now super babyface megastar because you've allowed him to just to win and he's a heel and he's won and he's won he has won in a few ways but he's won and won and won and won and won and he's got one of the, you know the longest title reign since Hulk Hogan in 1984 now so it's like just just I think sometimes protecting people and overthinking it it just doesn't need to be that in UFC people lose and they're still interested in coming back and, and watching their fights boxers yeah. people you know Anthony Joshua lost a, a fight a few weeks ago to Alexander Usyk I hope by the time this comes out that him and uh, Tyson Fury signed that'll be the biggest fight ever on pay-per-view in the UK like that'll be two million people two million people in a country of 60 million buying that paper which is unheard of so yeah just let it be simplify it just promote present it as a sport that's what i think anyway what one more thing on, on that point though mm. is and you brought up the ufc and i'm and i don't watch a whole lot of you I, I don't watch any uh but i think that puts a little pressure on wrestling because now so many people are watching the ufc where that wrestling has to be more like ufc or or people are going to put poke holes in it you yeah. know, again, back back in 1980, there wasn't a UFC to compare it to. So, so, you know, the good guy, small package and gets to win the bad guy, small package, but they got to pull the tights to win, you know? So it's, it, uh, but, but now, like you said, because of UFC, it puts some pressure on wrestling because they, they've got to close some of those gaps. Yeah. I think there's so much to, and this is, this is, again, we're, we're, in the wonderful world of tangents, but there's so much to learn from the way combat sports do stuff because people are still buying. Like people five or six years ago thought pay per view was dead, and uh, you know WWE's on on Peacock, um, but UFC still gets people to buy pay per views on a on ESPN Plus, and they get good numbers on that because they and then what are they doing? They're promoting characters in fights. It's wrestling. I know some people. My good my good friend Ben over the wrestling ran a wrestling view doesn't see any comparison between MMA and wrestling. I think there's lots. I think the way that an MMA fight on Raw or AEW Dynamite or SmackDown, I think there's such a lot to be said. Just give give a five or ten minute piece. Of some, it can be a heel or a baby face training, do the Rocky thing, put him in a gym, put him in a thing sparring, doing moves, like just do something different. I think that the 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 way of, I mean, really since the mid 90s, since since Raw and Nitro were a thing, the way that a wrestling show is presented hasn't changed. Whereas if you if you looked at the Irish McNeil Boys Club version of UWF, which is like a couple of years before this, um, and there's actually quite a lot more skits on this on this um. Mm. this show the new you wouldn't get sometimes now like rampage on a friday night on, on tnt in the states is all matches they don't even show the they just, they, they, sometimes i haven't even got time to show the entrance just get the wrestlers in have a match because we, we're desperate to hold these ratings and they think that the matches hold ratings better than the skits but the skits and the packages lead over time for more interest in those characters which is you know it might be a net loss on day one but it's a net gain over time so i just think characters are so much so much more important and it can be you know, it doesn't have to be outlandish. It can just be like this confident, good-looking guy or girl who's just a complete dick. That that's absolutely yeah. fine. It doesn't have to be like this big nuance. You know, he's a he's a he's a bus driver. or He's a garbage man. Yeah. It doesn't have to be that. Just yeah. let you know, do you know what I mean. And I think a lot of these 
you know what it's like you're around athletes a lot of these super super good athletes have got a chip on their shoulder just let let them let them do that and turn the volume up i think you know there's so much to be said for just character work and and spending this time with raw now raw i've watched raw the last few weeks again we're a little bit taping out of out of, out of sequence but raw's a long match now you got some you got really get some really good wrestling on wwe television now but in terms of the characters i just want triple h to just look at that and let's see some more of these people because i think that you know some of the stuff that i remember i remember magnum ta with Mr. Mr. Wrestling 2, going back to right at the start of this podcast, and that angle, that angle was all about those those segments and, you know, Mr. Wrestling 2 and the nuances and that. It's like, just give me more of that and less of the matches that, you know, that's a great 15 minutes of wrestling, but I'm never going to remember this. And that is what a lot of modern-day wrestling is. A lot of modern-day wrestling, particularly Dynamite, is 15 minutes, every, we're gonna, everything is going to do a triple, triple moonsault, reverse this, 18 DDTs, kick out of everything, crowds to be chanting this is awesome and in an hour's time you'll never think about that match ever again that can't be right so sorry terry loads no, of tangents no, there. <laughs> no and to put a bow on it like you said you'll never remember that but yeah. i'll always remember mr wrestling too knee lifting that bag of wheat exactly and busted it open to show how powerful his knee was and i will and i and i will as well because it's different yeah. and that and those things that matter Right, back onto the show. So uh, where are we? Got a local promo, but not a local promo with Skander Akbar and the One Man Gang and Leroy Brown talking about their match later on. One Man Gang, he shouted at a pitch and level that really hurt my brain and ears. What Did, did, did this hurt you as much as it hurt me? I, for some reason, I love that. Whatever he goes to you or whatever. <laughs> it's like uh, Stan Hansen has the same thing. Uh, yeah. I, I, I've always I've always dug it. Uh, and, and I can't help but notice the giant scar on yeah. uh, on uh, on one man gang. He's actually he and his wife or I'm um, Facebook friends with him. And he's, oh, he, I thought you said that to before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I've had a chance to meet meet him. And he's such a such a kind, kind man. But He's, he's such a badass heel and the giant, the Mohawk and the giant scar that goes across his whole head is just, is perfect for a heel. You know? oh, that's classic, classic stuff. Uh, Chavo Guerrero made his debut at the commentary desk with Jim Ross next. And Ross talks about all the people that wanted a shot at the UWF title and said the Chavo's, that Chavo's name was on that list. He agreed that no contract had been signed so the result couldn't stand. And a lot of people were after calling. I thought this was weird that the baby face they kind of what they're doing here is Ted and him said like, well, this, we, yeah, we get this. This is, you know, this is fair enough. But, and so they're, so they're not sort of questioning the authority of the promotion. So that was interesting because actually now I think that I'm not necessarily thinking it would be that way. I think it more like he was robbed, blah, blah, blah. Do, do you sort of see where I'm coming from now? It was interesting the way they did this. I, I do 100%. When, when, when DiBiase's interview, I thought it was a little odd. And, and so what it made me think was something happened and it threw off the, the original idea that they were going to go with. Hmm. Maybe somebody was leaving a territory or somebody got injured. Okay, yeah, yeah. But, but it's almost like they had to call an audible mm. and change what they were doing. Because you're right, when, when DiBiase comes in the ring and start – it was it was very very different the way he was saying it was okay that that you know the title was taken from him. Yeah, it, it, it's almost like they had to call an audible and and go in a different direction. Yeah, very odd. They did that in uh, what well, was a show I reviewed for the other podcast I'm on now. Um, it was who was it? It was Nick Bockwinkle and Kurt Hennig in AWA. So it literally ended a big show. I don't think it was a pay per view, but like maybe close circuit. With that finish, a dodgy finish, they didn't know what Kurt Henning was going to do. So in the end, he stayed, but they left themselves a room room for maneuvers to get out of it. I, I wonder. I mean, it's possible because Dibiase uh, did he stay till the end of the promotion, or was he gone before? The, he certainly was gone by the end of '87, wasn't he? So I don't know whether he was got, he was out before what soul. I can look that up. I'll, I'll, I'll look that up in a second. Um, right next up, Nature Boy, Buddy Lando, and Jack Victory going up against Ice Man, King Parsons, and Terry Taylor. Ross gave details on how people could could visit and attend the Thanksgiving Superdome show if they live outside Louisiana. Ross reminded us that Tatum wasn't teaming with Victory in this match because he'd be going up against Gilbert next. Him and Chavo pontificate over what might happen. And Ross said that someone was going to get hurt. 
and that's in the Gilbert and Tatum grudge match. Um, the babyfaces ended up winning via Parsons whipping Taylor into victory, who then hit his flying forearm um, for the one, two, three. I thought the crowd was into this. It was a decent little tag match. What do you think of this? Yeah, two two guys that were that were uh, over uh, for sure. And and I, and I know we've talked about this. I, I've always liked Buddy Landell. I thought he mm. was one of the great cowardly heels out there. And uh, if you really want to see some fun stuff. Uh, go to YouTube and find uh, Buddy Landell and Bill Dundee when they were the heels in Memphis and they actually take over the TV program. It's, oh, really? It, it's, it's very, very funny. It's, it's, it's great heel comedy, but it's from Memphis uh, television. But Buddy, Buddy Landell and uh, Bill Dundee take over the whole segment. And so anyway, I, I digress. Uh, but uh, love, love Landell, love, love him. He can get, he's one of those guys that can lose every match he's ever in. And he may have, but still be over as a good heel because he, he can talk. He can make you believe that he thinks he's going to win. And then he, he you know, he'll, he'll take the pin. The thing that I completely agree about Buddy Landell and the thing that I, I just can't get my head around, he was 25 when this show was aired. I mean, I think he was, yeah, this tough lifestyle, but he, he was so good at this young age, wasn't he? He really was. But I think, unfortunately, some, some demons caught up with him. Going back to Ted DiBiase, interestingly, he did not work, and I, I don't know if this is linked or not, or whether he was already on the way out, but he never worked for the UWF post-Watt sale. So he, um, spoiler alert, because obviously we're going to get to this next year, but he worked um, the UWF TV taping on March 21st, um, then he went to All Japan for a tour in in late March and most of April 87, um, all of April pretty much. And then by the time he came back, he did one shot for... Actually, no, I'm, I tell a lie. He did do one more match for UWF um, for the tag titles uh, with him and Steve Williams. And then he was in WF. So he did work one show. So I wonder if that was some... I wonder what that was about. That's weird that you came back to work one show um and then he was gone so he did he did work one I, I thought he hadn't and i saw that afterwards so yeah that is a bit strange unless that was promoted by somebody else so that looks like it was it was yeah it looked like it might have been oh no it would have been it was sorry it says here that it's, it's cross-promoted between uwf and nw uh crockett but it would have been because it was owned by crockett then so that's why it says that so yeah strange then he was off to off to the wf and who was his first match in the wf yeah someone you mentioned on air He's he's on this show and I talked about how um how loud his his promos were. One man gang. Ah. Yeah, now I does this mean that Dibiossi was a, a baby face when he came in? So he feuded with he had had a run with um yeah, he had a, a short run with one man gang. I think he I think they he came in as a baby face. So one man gang, one man gang, one man gang. Ron Bass and one-man game defeat Sam Houston and Ted DiBiase. Yeah, he was a face at the start of this run. And then I think, yeah, I guess they were, they were getting him ready for the for the Million Dollar Man characters. And then by, um, so by, he went to, back to All Japan in the summer. And then by the time he came back, he was he was, he was was going against uh, baby faces. So they, they'd made the switch. So that's, yeah, I never knew that. So I wonder if there's any footage around that, that I suspect not survives of that. Um, so next up, we've got the grudge match we've all been waiting for. Eddie Gilbert versus uh, Hollywood John Tatum. Gilbert was out to Donna Summer's classic hot stuff and Hyatt appeared to have a can of yellow spray paint with her. Tatum came out to no music and got straight into it with Gilbert. Um, and as we talked about earlier in the show or shows, um, we're not really sure who was supposed to be cheering here because neither has been established as a baby face. Hyatt sang on the outside, we're going to paint you yellow, which was amazing. Um, Chavo left during this match due to another commitment. What possible other commitment could he have had during the course of this show? He's commentating. He wasn't wrestling. Where was he going, Terry? Where was he going? There's no telling. There's no telling. <laughs> it, it, it was the 80s. <laughs> what was he doing? Yeah, yeah. He probably had a motel room or something lined up. I shouldn't cast aspersions about Mr. Guerrero there. Um, at 3.40, Dark Journey came to ringside to go after higher to a huge response from the crowd. Um, unfortunately, this next bit is a bit distasteful, actually, because Eddie Gilbert ended up drilling Dark Journey with the purse. Um, he then sprayed her front, uh, front and her face yellow, and the bell rang in 4.40. 
Tatum just watched. He did nothing about this. So obviously he's not going face. And eventually the missing link, Taylor and Parsons made the save. Um, I was thinking about this. So I think, you know, if you're watching some serious late night HBO crime thing or something or some drama, there's, there's probably a place where the presentation of something like this involving women, I guess, could, you know, I, I do understand why you do this in that, that setting. But Saturday mornings or lunchtime in front of kids, I don't think you should be doing loaded purse shots to the face of a woman on what is, I know it's not a kid's show, but it kind of is and isn't, isn't it? I said, it's like a family show. So yeah, I don't, I know they did a lot of uh, women, you know, man on women violence in ECW and WF. Um, and it's looking back at some of this, it's quite grating to see the crowd erupt to some of this stuff. But I, I'm not sure, again, that's more of an adult product. I'm not sure this, I'm not sure. I'm quite surprised it did this actually. What, what did you make of all this, Terry? Yeah, you know, we look at things kind of with with a different lens these yeah days. we do we do you know but but you're right there, there are a lot of things like that we could go back you know into the 80s and watch and, and kind of a little bit of a head scratcher um but but you're right you know the, the you know it's kind of that pack mentality the way the crowd reacts it's like it's okay at the time yeah Which it was not no, 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 yeah, yeah. It's it's just just was just an odd one. What do you think of how how Tatum just just kind of? I, I mean, obviously they they want to keep these two both heels, so they just they just kind of yeah, just threw it away and that's it. It's just it's just so gray. Uh, like I said, there's a lot of <coughs> a lot of these gray areas right now, and and I remember in world class around this same time, world class was doing that a lot too. It'd be like the Freebirds would fight the Von Erics and be horrible heels and then they fight in Akbar's army the, the next night yeah. and, and they kind of being cheered for a little bit it was like they, they didn't quite want to flip you but yeah it's strange isn't it yeah, like slot people in for, for situations on that side of the thing but then swap them back out again I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about that I think yeah I don't know like Freebirds are tough on because I bet they got such good good, good ovations in lots of places so but then do you do you do you keep them tweener and allow them to be baby faces? And so I don't know. I'm not sure. I know the answer to that one. It's really difficult. Here's a, here's an analogy. I guess can maybe give a parallel. I'm a huge New Orleans Saints football fan. Okay, mm. in our division is Tampa Bay. So we've obviously got to dislike Tampa Bay because we are competing for them for a division title. Well, I also hate the Dallas Cowboys just because they're the Dallas Cowboys. But now when Tampa Bay and Dallas play, I've got to cheer for somebody, <laughs> right? So somebody's got to lose. So who is the bigger heel in my eyes? You know, is Does it, it ever change? Uh, Does it ever change? Again? I was going to say, because we've got that in football. So if, if it's like Manchester United versus Liverpool, Chelsea's, I, I would say Chelsea's a big rival for Fulham, but Chelsea's not a big rival because they're a much bigger team, but they're geographically very close. Chelsea and Fulham are like a... 25 minute walk between them but Chelsea's always been a much well not always would say that but Chelsea in the last 20 years much bigger and better club you know won the European Cup and stuff so Chelsea, Fulham beating Chelsea is like the holy grail but I don't particularly dislike Chelsea in some situations so I would probably want them to beat other teams then I want other teams to beat them but it's it's just difficult so does that does that ever change where sometimes you would want Tampa Bay to beat Dallas and sometimes you want Dallas to beat Tampa Bay it could, it could. Yeah. So for instance, let's say we're at the getting towards the end of the season and by Dallas beating Tampa Bay, it allows us to, yeah. to win, win the, the division title, you know, so it would benefit the Saints more. So, yeah, so it could change. Yeah, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Yeah, it's almost like you want almost want both teams to lose in that situation, but <laughs> alas, that can't that can't happen. You can't, you know, though, in our sport, there are draws, so you can't, you can't yes. want that. Uh, so uh, next up, Badly Roy Brown, the one-man gang, and Wild Bill Irwin, along with Skander Akbar going up against Chris Adams, who was again out to Eye of the Tiger and Jim Duggan. And it was supposed to be the missing link on their team as well, but he was too busy tending to the injured dark journey. I think Eye of the Tiger is the absolute peak of music to come out to. I think like that is, it doesn't get any better than that. Do you, have you ever thought about if you had an entrance music for re, like wrestling or what what that would be, or if you if not, if there are any particular wrestler entrance themes that you are you're fond of? Well, you see, you mentioned I have a tiger because of your connection with Hulk Hogan in that era. Yeah, 
Rocky for me three, I suppose it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, I go back to the 80s. So Free Bird. Yep. Uh in that bad street. I'm talking about Free Bird, uh, by Leonard Skinner. Another one bites the dust, junkyard yep. dog. Junkyard dog, yep. Also, something that was so cool back then was Carrie Vine. Even though I wasn't a Carrie Von Eric fan, Tom Sawyer by Rush, uh Carrie Von Eric coming out to modern day warrior. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, so so those would, would be more for me than 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 I tiger. tiger. Yeah. Do you know what? This is this is such a te- this is such a random. Do, do, have you ever seen darts on? I don't know if darts has ever come across your in your sphere for like flicking through the channels. But darts is quite a big sport in the UK in terms like, of like. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So so it, so the World Championship darts is held um, this kind of old. It's a palace actually, but it holds about three thousand people. So you you all sit there on like these long tables and you really watch the screens because they're up there playing darts, but you can't see that. But then after that, that's always at Christmas. And it's like a, tr- it's like a real big Christmas thing in the UK that darts is always on between Christmas and New Year. It's like a massive, massive thing. And Dan and I usually go to it. Um, and, and I've been going for years. And then after Christmas, they go and play in arenas. So at the arena tour, they get like, I think they had like 15,000 people watching darts which is wow. like unbelievable. But one of my, fa- probably my favorite darts player of all time, this Dutch guy, he was like quite big in the mid nineties. He's getting on a bit now and he's coming in and out for time, but he's come out. To- so they all have, ent- have entrances like wrestling, all like crowd going bananas. And he's come out to Eye of the Tiger as well. So it's like, Eye of the Tiger for me is more Raymond Van Barneville, the darts fan, than it is Hulk Hogan in the early eighties. Yeah. So yeah, that's what I just love. Eye of the Tiger It's so, so, so good. Um, Back to this match, Owen took a huge bump in the corner after just two, uh, after just under two minutes, where he was held into turnbuckles with such force. I thought it looked like the ring had broken for a moment. Um, he was also on the end of a super stiff-looking slingshot by Adams into a Duggan forearm, which I thought wouldn't have looked out of place in like a you know a super high-end 2015 Ring of Honor or PWE tag team match. It was such a good tag team spot. Um, this one looked like it was going to end in a predictable way, uh, going off the air while it was in course, as Ross reminded us that next week we'd have two title matches, plus we find out what Terry Gordy's surprise was. Um, the closing music started to, to, to kind of run and credits rolled. Uh, a missing link then came out to even the odds. And Scandal was in at the end as well. But actually, the bell went at 4.45 for presumably a DQ. Um, what did you think of this, uh, this week of television? Um, it was heavily focused around this phantom title change and what do you think of this last match as well yeah we all knew uh wrestling fans we knew we would not see a finish we've mm. kind of been programmed we, we knew we wouldn't see a finish uh was a little curious of what was up with the uh with the missing link why wasn't he there uh did he miss his boat uh miss his train whatever <laughs> uh, the, the wild bill Irwin takes a really cool bump uh you know, where he gets his foot tied on the top rope and kind of hangs. Uh, and the other thing I noticed, I just remember the one man game, how big he is. But Leroy Brown standing next to him, he's bigger than a one man gang. It's like mm. these are some big, big guys. And, and we, we know Watts love the big guys, but but man, it, uh, they, they got some big heels in the in the uh, yeah they UWF do right now. yeah this is not like the the days of the rock and roll express and the and the midnight stuff is it this is a big guy promotion again here yes. um yeah. that is it for another week of UWF television action Terry will be back with us for our next UWF review thank you all for listening we shall speak to you all again very very soon. Hello, everybody. I am Ricky Morton of the Rock and Roll Express. And if you would like to purchase some merchandise from World's Number One Mid-South Wrestling Podcast, check it out, all the products. That's on redbubble.com, people, Mid-South Moments. They have everything from T-shirts, phone cases, mugs. Remember now, redbubble.com, people, Mid-South Moments. Thanks very much, Ricky. And that link again is redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash mid south moments.